0: You are listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: We're still here. Trade's happening, though. You don't know where anybody's playing right now. NBA trade deadline came and went. There was a massive trade in Major League Baseball. Also got the XFL in about an hour. College basketball. The top 16 teams were unveiled uh, just a, about 10 minutes ago. so we'll. I'm have, assuming it's Pac-12 heavy, Curtis.
0: Uh,
2: <laughs> it is the Conference of Champions. It, true. Bill
1: Walton will remind us at any point, but uh, no, only one oh. Pac-12 school in there. Well, there is uh, a school in this state, though, that is very well represented in the top 16. That would be Gonzaga. They got a one seed, as you can probably imagine, 24-1 and one on the year right now. And yeah, but Oregon, the only Pac-12 school in that top 16 that was unveiled just moments ago on CBS. Uh, but yeah, lots to get to today. We've even got Jessamine McIntyre, who is on the sidelines sidelines Major League Rugby. Yeah,
2: Colorado Raptors at the Houston Sabercats, the very first opening game of the uh, Major League Rugby season. And she is doing the national broadcast. So shout out to Jess.
1: Shout out. We got people all over the place. Yeah, we
0: mm-hmm. do.
2: Across all sports. Yeah.
0: We're the most connected show. Well, yeah. And just going to go out there and make that proclamation. Yeah. In Seattle. Maybe in the West Coast. Yeah. You heard
1: me. <laughs> facts are facts, man. Mm-hmm. I had to say it. Sorry, someone had to say it. Facts only. That's all we know right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Uh, but coming up in this hour, we're going to have a lot of fun at the uh, second half of it. Well, we have a lot of fun throughout the entire three hours. But specifically, uh, we're talking trash talking. We're not going to be trash talking each other, maybe. But we're going to talk the art of it, how two very well-known former Seattle athletes had their very different experiences with it leading up to the Super Bowl and after the Super Bowl. Uh, and then, at 10.45, we're going to draft some of our favorite trash talkers throughout sports history. That's coming up in about 45 minutes. So start thinking minutes. of yours already. Who would yeah. you put on mm-hmm. your all-star
2: team of, of trash talkers? Yes. Also, 7-10, what, 7-10, What makes great trash talk? I think yeah. that's just... Uh, it's it's up for debate. So text in,
1: text that in to the Coors Light text line. Who are some of your favorite trash talkers Watch throughout sports? All history. these people
2: are just going to trash talk us now. Yeah, oh, I just invited that, exactly. which is fine. That's we okay. get we're we're used to it. We get that. on and the daily.
1: Gary Payton obviously comes to mind, and here in in the CACL, give us give us somebody else besides o- outside Gary Payton. the glove, outside yeah. the box. Let's let's get outside the box there. Let's let's take a look at this hour's big three. Number one.
2: We talked to Dragons insider Maura Dooley just 15 minutes ago. And yes, the XFL begins today. The Seattle Dragons in the very first inaugural game against the D.C. Defenders at Audi Stadium in less than an hour now 11 a.m. on ABC that kicks off also later in the day you've got the LA Wildcats at the Houston Roughnecks on Fox that's going to be a 2 p.m. uh start time and one Mr. Brock Heward that's right another on the sidelines who who that
0: never hashtag connected yeah
2: he is going to be on the sidelines for that one also means that he might be involved in some of the Dragons games coming up he might uh, be one of the people that we get on the show to, to chat about this team so that's that's exciting. You have something to watch all day today. I think Laura mentioned it earlier. The the watchword for me is opportunity. This league is an opportunity to continue your football fandom, especially here in Seattle if you're in the doldrums after the NFL ended. So now you get football on your TV screen for at least the next 10 weeks. You also see an opportunity for a lot of players, some that you know very well in Seattle as well, from having played at UW, from having been on the, the Seattle Seahawks squad in some capacity. And now it's an opportunity for a lot of them to continue their careers, and they are excited about that. I, that's my favorite part of this whole thing, hearing their stories, whether it's the fact that uh, the kicker they just signed was living in his van for the last three years or that uh, John Santiago, wide receiver, was a paraprofessional in an elementary school when he got the text that he had been drafted by this team. So a lot of great stories, uh, unprecedented access that you're going to get on the broadcast, and it all starts today at 11 a.m. on ABC
0: number two nba tread trade deadline has passed and a few big deals going down in the nba golden state warriors agreed to trade d'angelo russell to the minnesota timberwolves for andrew wiggins in two uh protected i guess draft picks is what you would call them and uh saw the clippers also land marcus morris and isaiah thomas uh it's I believe reported that Isaiah Thomas will have his contract bought out, and he will be released. So he'll be able to go pick a team, and maybe hopefully a contender to join. Similar to what also local product Marvin Williams had done, he will most likely join the Milwaukee Bucks on one of those deals and help them try and push forward towards an Eastern Conference championship. Curtis's boy, hey. AI Andre Iguodala, on his way to where Curtis just was, Miami, Florida. Uh, and what I think was a big deal shows that they truly want to make a push in this Eastern Conference playoffs, try and capitalize on a, a weaker division. And Clint Capella going to go to the Atlanta Hawks. They, the Rockets looking for a way to sort of inject new life into that roster. So a lot of moves happening there. Current standings, you still have the Bucks, Raptors, Celtics, and Heat are the top four in the East. Out west, your two L.A. teams, Denver and Utah, round out the top four. So still a lot of basketball left to be played. It'll be interesting to see what the Rockets do, if the Trailblazers can get back into the playoff picture, can the Lakers keep running things, and uh, a lot of basketball left to be played.
1: Number three. Well, it's nearing the finish line, creeping ever so closely, but the Boston Red Sox are about to make one of the most head-scratching trades in baseball history. Boston will send 2018 AL MVP Mookie Betts, David Price, and Cash to the Dodgers in a three-team trade for young outfielder Alex Verdugo, Ross Stripling, and others. The one thing that's holding up this deal is Minnesota minor league pitcher Bruce Dark Grotteral. He's got an elbow issue that could possibly force Minnesota to include another minor league pitcher instead of Grotteral. Sox, they found themselves financially hamstrung after dishing out many big contracts to veteran players in recent seasons. Chris Sale, Nathan Eovaldi, JD Martinez, all three of those guys making big money. So instead of extending the 27-year-old bets to a rumored 12-year-old 420000000 million deal, they're gonna do a salary dump instead. Never mind the fact that the Red Sox are one of the biggest money makers in all of baseball, and that's what makes this trade so Crazy! This is one of the biggest financially well-off teams in all of baseball, and they are saying no to the prime of a 27-year-old player, the second-best player in baseball, statistically behind Mike Trout over the last five or six seasons. It makes zero sense to us on the outside. It probably makes zero sense to people on the inside of the Red Sox organization, but they are going to do that. Uh, they're putting the final touches on that trade, with tons and tons of moving parts. I can see why it's taken so long. It took so long, in fact. uh, Major League Baseball Players Union head Tony Clark came out and said, all right, guys, let's get on with it. There's so many players here that don't know where they're going to be playing, and they report to spring training in a couple of days. Let's get this figured out before teams have to report. So that is this hour's Big Three. And, I mean, we'll get into the Mookie Betts deal here in a couple of minutes. But, man, I mean, that is just... That is a landscape-changing trade in baseball and one that I think speaks to maybe the health of the game or or lack thereof if you've got a team like Boston saying, you know what, we don't want to pay that kind of money for a superstar player.
2: I also think that flexibility means more than ever to certain teams. And we saw what Dave Dombrowski did as soon as he was promoted there in Boston, it was pay money pay money pay money it was acquire chris sale it was Pady jd martinez um so i think just looking at your future and probably believing in your farm system believing in your development believing that yes this is a once in a generation probably player he's the second best player in baseball but you also took him from the draft as a fifth round pick and you believe in your scouting and your development um, it must be really nice to be in that sort of uh, in that sort of mindset, but that you need the flexibility and you want to get below that luxury tax threshold. I think that means a lot to teams these days. We've heard Jerry Dipoto talk about controllability. I think that you know if you if you uh, played a game and did something every time he said controllability, uh, y- yeah, yeah, you you'd, you'd hear it a lot.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, honorable mentions. One really weird story in college football this week. The day before the late signing day period started, Michigan State head coach Mark D'Antonio resigning two weeks after also collecting a four point three million dollar bonus check. I mean, Everything I don't I don't fault weird. him for collecting the check, but maybe stick it out a little bit longer after you collect that four point three million.
2: The press conference was even weirder, saying that the, you know the lawsuit was no in no part of why you were or was I don't know what was it. Yeah, no part of why you were stepping down, that you were 50 50 to stay. It was just a very, it was a, the audio from that is so weird. If you have an opportunity to go watch it and make your own impression, but I don't know.
1: <laughs> it's bizarre. And also bizarre in college basketball, Bobby Knight, he will reportedly return to Indiana in Assembly Hall today, just as a spectator, for the very first time since he was fired in 1999. I talked to our resident Hoosier, Tom Wassell, about this last night. And he said, you know, good for the students of Indiana right now, but this does not register at all on Tom's radar. And I can see why, because Bobby Knight has done nothing but really trash that university on his way out uh, in the years since. But I guess fences can be mended in this kind of situation. But, yeah, I I don't know if this is going to do as much to repair the wounds of that whole situation as maybe Bobby thinks it would. It's, it is a strange, strange thing. It's like, yeah, you know, I've I've been away for twenty plus years now, but now I am gonna return and as though everything's a okay.
0: Well, time heals all wounds, so we'll find out how <laughs> how healed this one is <laughs> because of the time. But uh, yeah, I don't blame Tom for feeling feeling that way, but I also don't blame young fans for being excited to see him back uh, back
1: there in the Hoosier State. Yeah. Uh, I also feel like Bobby's kinda of doing this because he's kinda of out of the public eye right now. Yeah. He's not on ESPN anymore. I think he left there in kind of a huff. And now he, he's trying to make some goodwill uh because it's been a while since he's been in the good graces of everybody. So maybe this is a nice step in that direction, but he's been uh he's had he's not the nicest fella Mm-mm. to put it to put it nicely. Uh and then AJ Hinch last night on MLB Network he spoke Publicly for the first time since being fired as manager of the Houston Astros. We will get into his conversation with Tom Verducci coming up in the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, But more and more details are trickling out about this. The Wall Street Journal had a pretty explosive report on the Astros yesterday, including the people higher up in that organization were well aware of what was going on, too. And in fact, the whole thing started from an intern. An intern had the idea. And they are like, you know what? This guy, he's not on payroll, but we're going to go with what he's telling us to do.
0: I like what this guy's selling. Yeah, No. Craziness. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Also, real quick, I did want to mention Overwatch League. Starting today, Season 3, and the home matches are now going to be played in their cities. So you'll have an opportunity to see the Vancouver Titans in Vancouver later on this year. And they play today at 2 p.m. in Dallas, Texas.
2: Nice. Yeah.
0: A lot of, lot of local teams getting launched, a lot of content to be consuming today. I mean, that's impressive. Not a boring week.
2: If Overwatch, uh, Major League Rugby, and the XFL all starting today. So yes. we thought it was going to be a boring week after the Super Bowl. No, no, no.
1: Think again. Joke's on you. Yeah. <laughs> but what is the difference between what the Red Sox are doing and what the Mariners are doing? Is there a difference? Why does it seem like the media portrays both situations differently? We'll get into that coming up right here. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. One team sheds a big salary but attaches a top flight player and gets ridiculed for it. But it turns out all right. Another team. Dumps salary, attaches a top-flight player. People are like, oh, I can see why they'd make that
0: move. Makes sense.
1: Talking about the Mariners and their trade of Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz last year, and the Red Sox and their trade of David Price and Mookie Betts this year. I don't get why so many in the national media are sort of justifying what the Red Sox have done. Meanwhile, the Mariners were criticized for getting rid of Cano and Diaz in an 89-win season, and yet all the returns that the Mariners have gotten from that Diaz and Cano trade turned out pretty well so far. We don't know what Kelnick is going to be like at the major league level, but for what the Mariners are still attempting to do, and that's to rebuild and to to retool and to get a – a viable World Series contender out on the field. That was the right move at the right time. The Red Sox, they are much closer to contention now than the Mariners were in 2018, and yet they're still going to go through with this move and, and get rid of Mookie Betts, who is the second-best player in baseball. I don't get it. Somebody, somebody try to... Speak some sense into this. (laughs) Well,
2: the trade itself, I think, yes, is kind of quizzical. As for the perception nationally, I think because even though now it's still under investigation and it is tainted by the fact that they might be involved in the electronic sign stealing scandal uh, in 2018 when they won their World Series, they have won recently. And people will automatically put more faith in a system that has recently won a World Series that has produced homegrown players like Mookie Betts, who was a fifth-round pick, than they will in an unknown quantity. And the Mariners, unfortunately, right now are that unknown quantity because they haven't won and because we haven't seen a lot of homegrown produced talent over the last couple of years. So a lot of people looking at this, I think, and saying, well, they can do that again. Not saying that they can find another Mookie Betts per se, but they can – they they will never fall off in the way that some other teams will. So that would be my guess as to why it's being perceived differently. I'm not saying that their yield is going to be any better or that it, it makes sense. But they also are coming off of a year when they, they Dave Dombrowski gave a lot of expensive contracts. And they need to shed some of that salary to be able to pay players in the future.
0: It just... Sucks as a Mariner fan to see this happen because it's like you you see one of these staple franchises get cheap, quote unquote, right? And as a Mariner fan, it, it almost feels disgusting because I would kill to have a player like Mookie Betts to have a young player like that, an exciting. Every team would, right? And, but are
2: they getting cheap though? Like they're still not getting cheap. I
0: know, but they. But then what? What is the, uh, why do this? You know what I mean? Like, why move on from a guy like this?
2: Because you can't find any buyers for people with the other contracts. Like, there's maybe nobody who wants to offload Chris Sale. There's maybe nobody who wanted to take David Price without bundling it with Mookie Betts. There's, I think they, they have limited uh, ability in what they're able to do. Because Dombrowski, that's why he was fired so quickly after they won a World Series, is because he sort of, you know, he didn't allow them to have flexibility for the future and people were not cool with that
0: I agree but isn't this the type of player you want to be hamstrung to for years like don't you want to hit your wagon to a player like Mookie Betts when you have him instead of I, I look I understand what you're saying Lids and it, it makes complete sense but You have Mookie. You have him, right? He's there. He's already on your roster. There is no salary cap. You are one of the richest teams in the league. You are one of the staple franchises in the league. You have fan support. Whether you win or lose for 100 straight years, people seem to like you. So it it just is so frustrating to me as a Mariner fan who – so desperately craves a player like this so desperately craves to have my team be a Red Sox like team and then you see the Red Sox go out and do this and be praised for it and it just stings because the Mariners did it as well and we were ridiculed and mocked and the Red Sox do it and they're celebrated as these forward thinking not being hamstrung positioning positioning themselves To be fair
2: they've been mocked plenty too and especially by their own fan base yes. they've been you know, torched for this. And I, I too, I'm with you. I'm trying to play devil's advocate for why this perception might be happening because Mookie Betts is one of the most, not only best players, but just the most fun players to watch. And I would want him to be the face of my franchise in an instant.
1: What makes very little sense to me is why they decided on Mookie Betts to trade. When they have other great young players as well, why not make this trade with Rafael Devers? Why not make this trade with Xander Bogarts? Why not make this trade with Andrew Benintendi? but instead they settled on mookie betts was it just that his asking price became to a point where they were they weren't comfortable was his you know the rumored figure of 420 million dollars which none of us know for fact no one knows for fact even the people who have floated that that figure out there we won't know for fact until betts actually does sign that kind of huge contract with whatever team he chooses after the 2020 season But I feel like you could have gotten – it would have been much more palatable, I think, for Red Sox fans, really for baseball fans, had they attached another player besides Mookie Betts. And, I mean, Rafael Devers is – you know, he's a young player and had just a monster season this last year. Xander Bogarts, I think he signed a deal also recently. But I think that would have gone over a lot better than getting rid of the franchise. Getting rid—I I was listening to a podcast this week, and they're like, "It was—it's almost been a hundred years to the day that Babe Ruth was sold by the Red Sox, and you're trading away somebody who, through age 27, has been worth more wins above replacement than Babe Ruth was worth over you know age 27." It's weird how that that worked out in that way, but it just seems like. Settling on trading Mookie bets is going to backfire in a massive way, in in ways that you know we can't even process because we've never had anybody of that caliber here in twenty plus years.
2: And again, I don't know their farm system well enough to speak on this as well. Right. But they might have great confidence in who's coming up in their system. And again, I'm just trying to play the devil's advocate part of it because the, these are people that have had success. I mean we, we talk about they they might always be on the lookout for that next generational player because they have had so much success doing it.
0: Yeah, and look, I understand that someone texted in here from the uh the 425 saying that they still have a competitive team without Mookie Betts. Very True. valid point. They, and
1: Alex Verdugo, who they get to replace Mookie Betts, he's pretty good in his own right. Correct. So they
2: young controllable for a while.
1: Right, but again, it just when you take
0: one step back and, you're, and you think about letting a Mookie Betts out the door, like you find him, you develop him, he is what we know he is, other than Mike Trout, the best player in Major League Baseball, and just to let him walk. And I know they're, they're not just letting him walk, but that's the aesthetic view of it. It's just you're going to let this guy go?
1: How? When you look across Major League Baseball, now it's not just a Boston thing. You're seeing the Cubs. They've been involved in rumors with Chris Bryant. Mm -hmm. The Rockies have been involved in rumors with Nolan Arenado. The Indians have been involved in rumors with Francisco Lindor. All three of those guys sort of in the same age range as Mookie Betts. A lot of talent with those guys as well. And you kind of worry, like, if the Mariners find themselves, maybe this next CBA, that Major League Baseball owners and the Players Association agrees to, maybe they can figure out something to avoid teams having to give up young talent like this. But you worry, like, what if Jared Kelnick or Julio Rodriguez, what if those guys develop into what Betts has become do they become priced out of the Mariners organization just because of how great they are?
2: What is there any, this might be a stretch, but is there any comparison you can make to the Seahawks and the fact that their players always seem sometimes more valuable to other organizations? Like they end up going other places and getting paid more. And maybe there's something that the organization knows about that player or their relationship there that they just don't feel willing to, to, to max out that contract but other people they have more value to other people. Maybe that's a stretch.
0: No, uh, no it's not, but also I feel like this is also when Russell was going through his deal would have been the equivalent of the Seahawks move in Russell at that time where everyone is most likely thinking about keeping this player here for a long time. And the shock in the system, I feel like it would be equivalent to a move from Russell. But, yeah, no, I...
2: And what's our sample size, too, on 10-year deals and, and how bad. the performance works well? Really we, bad. Or we just don't even have that big a sample yet. We yeah. haven't seen... We've seen, you know, like uh, Albert Pujols and and we, we'll see in the next couple of years how Bryce Harper turns out and how these big deals turn out. But we know, essentially, you're paying for the first six, seven years and mm-hmm. then you're... And in
1: the last three, you're just...
2: Are kind of you know, wasted, yeah. and maybe sp- people are still reticent and scared of what they don't know.
1: I mean, it, it's it's great that we're you know talking legit like logistics of baseball, <laughs> yes, and, and it feels whatnot. Good. It does feel good, but man, it, it does kind of worry you. Like, At
2: least he's not in the American League anymore, you guys. Yeah, how do you feel about that? Well, and
1: that's another. That's thing. That's a great point. That's <laughs> another thing with this offseason for the Mariners. Everybody's kind of like, oh, the Red Sox and Astros, they're going to be here to stay. Both those teams lost their managers. The Red Sox just hired a guy, what, a couple days ago, Ron Renneke, to be their new manager. Betts is no longer a Red Sox. You've got all these Astros players that are up for deals. Garrett Cole's no longer an Astro. All of a sudden, like, it doesn't seem as daunting to get back into a competitive fray in, in the American League anymore. And I mean, yeah, it, it's looking, you know, we're kind of in the middle of the tunnel right now the rebuild with the Mariners, but...
2: You know, there's life.
1: There's Baseball America. They've got, what, five, six Mariners in their top 100? And Jared Kelnick, Julio Rodriguez, both top 10 guys? Ki- you know, kill me for dreaming. I'm sorry, but it's not as as crazy to think about you know, competing in the American League as it was a couple of years ago. Coming up, we learned the art of trash talk and, from Frank Clark and Richard Sherman during their time here in Seattle. But it worked out for them in very opposite ways this last week in the Super Bowl. We'll get into who came out on top in that one coming up. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Trash talking is an underrated art form across all arts. It is. It is. It takes a specific artiste. And the Seahawks organization over the last decade or so, they've had a couple of guys that have been really either good at it or bad at it, unafraid to do it, Mm -hmm. let's say. And Frank Clark and Richard Sherman both talked some very big games coming into the Super Bowl, and it worked out in about the opposite directions for both of them. Frank Clark uh man, he what was it, post game in the AFC championship game? Here is him just kind of calling his shot.
3: Last two games each game, seventy yards, over two hundred yards each game. I know damn well we wanna win the game we let that happen. They come in here, he ran for seventy yards, they call him the best Russian league. we sitting sending this home early. I posted the comments that you said to me. And all over social media, everybody said you better watch your back That you're saying things that you can't cash. Everybody on social media saying, back. they must not know who I am yet. They're going to find out sooner or later when I got that ring on my finger. At the end of the day, we champions. AFC, that trophy that got my own, the last name on it, That the KC. That KC. Ain't no fall off. Last year, jump off sides, all that. I told them when I got here, this is going to change. Look at this. We're the best in the world. Go join.
1: Frank Clark called a shot because he said we're champions. and Yeah, he said, come find me when I got that ring on my finger. He's He's got it now. He got it. Whereas Richard Sherman spent a lot of his time after the end of the regular season when he got the Pro Bowl nod, which then triggered a lot of bonuses in his contract. He spent a lot of time talking trash to media members and people that had doubted him, retweeting people that uh, that questioned his his ability to remain at a top level. In the NFL, but then get to the final quarter of the Super Bowl. Really, the entire game, Pat Mahomes went six of six Ooh. when targeting Richard Sherman in the Super Bowl. And then there are those still images of Sherman getting burned multiple times. Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill.
0: Yeah, by Sammy Watkins. Not like, I mean, Tyreek Hill, you understand. He's a speedy guy, he's the burner. Even Miko Hardman, you could have understood yeah. if he had burned him deep, but. To have the oldest receiver, the guy who right before the game was like, I might take a year off if I win
1: the Super Bowl because my body needs it. <laughs> but it it really blew up in Richard Sherman's face. And I right. think we learned the 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 greatness and the dangers of talking a big game, specifically in this Super Bowl, and specifically from two guys who Seahawks fans know very, very well. When you look at the two guys... Which of the two do you think handled I guess the lead up better? Cuz to me, I feel like Frank Clark was a lot more daring in his in his trash talk. Yeah. More like I'm I'm going to call the biggest game possible and if I if I live up to it then obviously I'm going to be a legend forever in Kansas City. Richard Sherman was a lot more methodical with his. He was a lot more Like, look at me now.
0: And I feel like that really tells you a lot about who these guys are, both as trash talkers and as players and as men. That Frank Clark is sort of that guy. You don't know what you're going to get. He's sort of all over the place. He's this way one minute. He's this way the other. We've heard multiple people talk about he's the crazy uncle at the barbecue every year. Like, that's who Frank Clark is for sure. You know, the Stanford grad, you know, he's methodical in the way he both plays and the way he attacks someone mentally. He's really, really smart, and he lets you know about it both in both the way he talks and the way he acts and also the things he says. And you're like, wow, that was a great comeback. And it just, yeah, it goes to show you that there are two different ways you can talk trash, but uh, the Frank Clark way seemed to really work. For him this year, because it seemed to be a motivator for him,
1: and at the end of the games, when the moments
0: were the biggest, he stepped up.
1: He did. He had the sack to end the AFC Championship game. He had the sack to almost end the Super Bowl. They had, you know, the Kansas City got the ball back. Damian Williams scored the touchdown, but post game. Frank Clark wasn't done with his trash talk. He had some pr- pretty direct comments for Jimmy Garoppolo. We
3: knew the times at checkdowns. You paying the guy one hundred and forty million dollars, one hundred and thirty million dollars, wherever he's getting paid. Man, go ahead. He got He got He got He got to throw the ball. Obviously, he didn't do that. They threw for about two hundred yards on checkdowns. That ain't enough to win ain't the game enough. against us. And don't we matter what it is. Champions. Don't matter My what boy, it is. My boy, the offense. You can't tell us nothing. Out.
1: Can't tell us nothing. One hundred and forty million to throw checkdowns. Whoa!
3: No chill yeah. from Frank Clark.
1: No, but. Again, just if you're going to talk that
0: loud, if you're going to talk that noise, you got to bring it. And I know at the beginning of the year, there were a lot of Kansas City fans who were like, hey, wait a second. What's going on here? This Frank Clark guy is not living up to it. But as the season progressed, he started to turn it on. It's almost that Pete Carroll mentality that you can't win the season in the first, second, or third quarter. That in the fourth quarter of this season, you saw Frank Clark Show up and be the man that he <laughs> was talking like he was in the off se- or in the regular season.
1: Now being on this other side of a Richard Sherman trash mm-hmm. talk, which you know he's he's taking his shots at the Seahawks organization ever since leaving. But then on Sunday we saw something like this happen. Hey, Second down and seven. Mahomes. Watkins. What a throw! Sammy Watkins out of bounds near the eleven. 38 yards on Richard Sherman's head. Was there any part of you that was kind of reveling in seeing Richard Sherman get it taken to him? Yeah, a little bit.
0: Look, I think as much he had that response, there was the Seattle media member during the Super Bowl media week coming up and being like, we miss you, I miss you, you know, I'll I'll treat you better next time. It is like that ex-girlfriend thing where, I got love for Richard Sherman. Look, he helped deliver a Super Bowl to the city. Yes. He has delivered the most iconic moment in Seahawks history. And for that, I'm forever thankful. Yet, we have broken up. I do understand that he's no longer with me. He's with someone else. <laughs> but there is that love there that I'll have for, for Richard. And I, I always feel that way. But I will say, this was nice. It is good to see you know, that that ex of yours get checked and then come back to Earth and that they they do have a, a reality check in store for them as it's, well.
1: It's one of the great examples of, you hate to say it. Oh, uh, you hate to see it. But, you know. But you also love to see it. Yeah, and I will say the criticism of Richard Sherman, like, oh, people are saying, oh, he's a bum in man coverage. Like, that's a reason why Darrell Rivas is the greatest corner of his era like Richard Sherman is a Hall of Fame cornerback. Yes, he will find his place in Canton, Ohio when his career is done. Like that is, he had he had a bad game, but yeah, I, I will say like yeah, as somebody who now, you know, you see Richard Sherman playing for the arch rival of the Seahawks, it was you know, kind of reveled in it a little bit. Yeah, I
0: can't lie. And the fact that it essentially was the reason why they did not win a Super Bowl, the reason why again, there will not be a Super Bowl in the NFC West for the past two years, well the Rams before then, but you know it's still the Seahawks that got that one and we might be able to get back and go to another and it, these are the opportunities you play for right and this is what the whole game is about and uh, I'm just uh, I have a little bit of a grin on my face after in this whole week after what happened to Sherm
1: two oh six brings up a really good point. They say I think we all would be cocky if we went from being broke and homeless and a troubled life to making twenty million dollars uh in you know in short span go Frank Clark. Yeah. I mean he's definitely earned his you know his check that he gets from the Kansas City yeah. Chiefs every single week. And we're not saying, you know, that like we should expect Frank Clark to be humble or anything like this. We're just pointing out that if you trash talk it can go one of two ways. And Frank Clark, it went about as good as it could get for anybody. Right. And Richard Sherman, it went about as bad as it could get for anybody.
0: Yes. And, uh, look, he needed a little help from uh, Patrick Mahomes as well. He needed a little bit of a blessing from the uh, the offensive side of the ball. But, look, he's got a ring, he's got a trophy, and he can talk that talk for at least another couple months. So
1: that brings us to our next segment. Who would you take in a draft of the greatest trash talkers in sports history. We want to hear from you on the Coors Light text line, 710-710. Yes. Who would be your top picks if you had an opportunity to fill out a roster full of trash talkers? We get into that coming up right here on Seattle Sports Saturday.
0: Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs.
1: On 710 ESPN Seattle. We're just 15 minutes away from the start of the XFL season. Seattle Dragons taking on the D.C. Defenders. You can catch that game 11 a.m. on ABC. We'll be giving you updates up until about noon here when we have to, uh, when, well, when we're done. We have to get off the air. Yeah. Like it's today. legally required we yeah. get off the air. We're too hot. Too potent. Too hot. It's so hot right now. But uh, we're looking at the best trash talkers in sports history because we had some great examples, and I guess a bad example, leading up to the Super Bowl this year. You had Frank Clark paying off in spades. Richard Sherman, with one of the biggest L's of his career. Uh, but right now, who are the best trash talkers in sports, and we're getting a lot of texts on the Coors Light like text line seven ten seven ten. A lot of Gary Payton nominations, obviously. yes, yes. I mean, it kind of goes without saying. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially here in Seattle, of course, just legendary. A lot of great ones, Taylor. I will give you the Whoa. very first pick okay. in our Trash Talk Draft because I feel like there are so many great options to pick from. Uh, but yeah, let's let's get it going. I mean, I'll get it out. I'll all- I'll take Gary because Gary should be
0: number one in this city, especially think about the NBA finals, that iconic picture of him and Michael Jordan face to face and Gary saying probably something along the lines of friendship
1: or this is fun or I mean, hey, fella, Gary Payton about as Oakland as it gets.
0: Yes. And, you know, that was the thing. And we've heard since in the Sonic Skate documentary, which is amazing if you haven't seen it. But um, In any sense, you know, he's been in the Area 21 with KG and talking about how if he could get you to think about him, he's got you. He's already got you off your game. And that was the thing, especially with uh, the Sonics and Bulls in the finals, is that he wasn't on Jordan until game three. And you saw a complete turn in Jordan's game as soon as Gary was, was on him for the rest of the series. So would have loved to have seen Gary on him for all six games most likely would have seen that seventh game if he was. Um, and yeah, I'll take Gary number one just to uh, appease the Seattle fans so I don't start a riot here later today. I
1: like that. I like that. For my first pick, I'm going to go with, I mean, he he may be the greatest trash talker of all time. His nickname was the greatest of all time, yeah. Muhammad Ali. Yes. A lot of uh, nomin- nominations coming from the 253, the 206, they both say Muhammad Ali. I mean, this is a guy that, he talked the talk, he walked the walk. He was unafraid of anybody or anything. Called so many of his shots and uh, he just he was he was he was the goat. Still is the goat. I don't think there's anybody that can match not just his reach in the sports world but outside of it too. But uh, yeah, I mean, I would take him to start my I guess Mount Rushmore my team of trash talkers. Who are we going number 2 Best trash talker.
0: Ever. Oh, man. This is so tough. Uh, you think about there's so many great trash talkers in history, and I'm going to try and mix it up here. I'm going to go wide receiver. I'm not going to go T.O., and I'm not going to go Ocho Cinco. I'm going Randy Moss. Ooh, who would talk that talk. Straight, straight cash, cash homie. homie. You know, he would just run his mouth and back it up. I think that's the one thing that trash talkers need to do, right? Gary backed it up. Defensive player of the year. Jordan backed it up, you know, the, one of the greatest of all time. Randy, I think if you ask kids today, and, and or kids our age, Curtis, and, and what sort of influence Randy had on them, I mean, and people is because of, of what he would do <laughs> and the talk he would have and just how arrogant he was, showing up to the draft, glasses on, all inside, just cool as can be, Randy, my number two pick in the,
1: tra- the trash-talking draft. Loving that. I'm loving that. My number two pick, I'm kind of debating between two guys, both in the NBA. Uh, what they Their careers briefly overlapped, I think, in the early 90s. Uh, but I'm going to go with a guy who is, you know, he's in Space Jam we learn Larry's not white. He's clear. Yes. Larry Bird, who I believe... One specific instance of his trash talk, he said he was going to take all of his shots left-handed in one game, and he was right-handed, and he did that, and he finished with like 40 points that night.
0: Yeah. That's... Larry is a notorious talker about you know people daring him to shoot from three and then staring him down the entire game and then pulling up from the exact same spot in the next possession and making it again and staring the guy down. He was ruthless, and again. Backing it up, able to do it on the court, magic, not the trash talker that no. Larry was. And you, lo- you love to see it. You, you love to see it from a guy like Larry, I who think, really wasn't athletic.
1: I think in the very first three-point competition that Larry Bird participated in, he walked into the locker room with his warm-up jacket on because he didn't even want to take it off because that's how he knew he was going to win. And he also, I believe, said to the entire locker room, which one of you guys is coming in second? He didn't even, you know, he's like, I got this already. I mean, that's, shout out to Larry Bird for for keeping it. Yeah, that's a great pick. Uh,
0: For me, we just mentioned him, and he was sort of half of the last segment, but uh, I'm taking Sherm. I'm taking Richard Sherman on my squad. I want a, don't you talk about the best. Don't you, you know, that's what you get when you talk about me. I want all of that on my squad, that whole Aaron Andrews interview. I want that energy. I want I want that that whole spirit in 2020. Uh, Richard Sherman and when he was here, and that L.O.B. could just run their mouse, They were backing it up. They were just smashing fools. I know mine's a pretty Seattle heavy uh, team so far, but Sh- Sherman is up there. Whether you're having this conversation in Seattle, Dallas, Miami, New York, Sherman's one of the best ever.
1: Yeah, a lot of great texts coming in on the Kurs Light text line 710. 710. Uh, we'll get into those here coming up. My number three, I'm going to go with a guy who, even after his career ended, still had some time this last season to trash talk Seahawks fans. We're talking Deion Sanders yes. prime time. And, yeah, he got under the, the skin of a lot of 12s this last season because he said, "What what is a, t- a 12? They gave him a, a dern name, as mm-hmm. he said. Not a darn name, a dern name. Deion Sanders, just his entire career was built off of self-promotion and just his ability to get under his opponent. And he did it from his college career all the way through his NFL career, even in his baseball career. When he, when he caught a lot of heat for playing for the Falcons and Braves at the same time uh, in the World Series, Tim McCarver, Fox's Tim McCarver, was very critical of him. And Dion made sure that Tim McCarver ate his words. I believe he poured like a bucket of water on Tim McCarver in the postgame celebration when the Braves ch- clinched a spot in the World Series. Like Dion, he made note of everybody uh, and just how they, you know, how they... How they it's throng. rumored that he wore
0: like pink cleats during a lot of like his big moments at Florida State, that he wore Timberlands at one of the combines <laughs> when he was running a 40... You hear all of these just stories about Dion and his career and how just outrageously trash talky he swagged out that guy was. For my last pick here, Curtis, I'm going to go back to the NBA. I'm going to take Kevin Garnett.
1: Yes, the big ticket. Now, that was one of my dark horse picks. Yes. I was hoping you may would pass passed on him because that guy was constantly talking.
0: I was down to two people, and they both have turned actors because of their bravado and how great they are. It was down to me, and the 206 texted it in. The Rock versus Kevin Garnett. Those were my final two spots. People don't give The Rock a lot of credit, but boy, oh boy.
1: One of the greatest Mike performers in wrestling.
0: And a lot of the athletes today... Their personas and personalities and sort of trash talk comes from that attitude era of WWF. The Stone Cold Rock, Triple H. He did the intros to the Super Bowl. Right. So I, and look, say what you will about WWF and their place in sports, whatever. I don't care about that. You know when The Rock picks up a mic, you don't want to be the subject on the other side of that or else you're going to be feeling real bad about yourself
1: my number four we're sticking with the NBA and I think that's a sport that lends itself to the most trash talk because you're constantly in the face of your defender whereas in baseball you're never really in the face of anybody else. Uh, the NFL, you're only on the field half the time so but there is still you know a lot of room for for trash talking but I'm sticking with the NBA on this one and this guy had one of the most legendary, Moments in Trash Talk history, we're talking Reggie Miller, oh, Indiana Pacer. The choke. To Spike Lee, oh, the namesake of your dog. Yes. Uh, but Reggie Miller, the choke sign, he was one of the, I guess, first NBA players to be really, like, out there with his trash talk.
0: Yes, and and not only that, to go at someone like Spike at that moment where he was, you know, he was the guy in Hollywood. He was the the hottest director on the scene and... To buy the courtside Knicks tickets, you know he was the the sort of the face of that organization too. And for Reggie to be talking mid game playoff game, and to back it up, whoa that is legend. That's legend. Wait for it, Derry. There we go.
1: That is our our draft uh, of trash talking. Keep Athletics. texting in though. Yeah, a lot of great ones. Chad Ochocinco yep. up there. 425 mentions the 85 Bears, the entire 85 Bears. Yeah, Yeah, they they recorded the Super Bowl shovel before the Super Bowl that year. Joe Namath, 408,
0: calling a shot, 206. Johnny McEnroe, look, Babe Ruth. The point? That's one
1: of the biggest trash talk moments ever. Two oh six even nominated me when it comes to college basketball Whoa, on Twitter. I don't know about that. I'm just I'm just speaking the hard truths. The hard truths. That's now, that's dirty Curdy. Yeah. He only comes out every now and again. You can follow me at a Kid From Kent <laughs> if you want some more college basketball wisdom coming your way. But also coming your way, the XFL, we are just a couple minutes away from kickoff. We will be giving you updates throughout the final hour of our show. Here today as the Seattle Dragons get set to face the D.C. Defenders. So what are you most looking forward to with the launch of the XFL? Different extra point rules, overtime rules, challenges, faster game time. We will get into all of that right here on Seattle Sports Saturday.